Hey everybody, I know I promised to do these once a month, but I just got back from Origins and I've got a lot of thoughts flowing through my head. I've played a lot of games, hung out with a lot of fun people, met a lot of new people, and I figured let me just get all this stuff out on the podcast before I forget it all. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and talk about my first time at Origins 2017. And in this podcast, I'm going to talk about all the games I played and some just anecdotes and fun things that happened uh, while I was there. And I'm going to do a little bit of a comparison between Origins and Gen Con. I've been to Gen Con six times uh, in my lifetime. And this is, like I said, my first Origins that I attended. So I have some room for comparison, at least kind of the first impressions of Origins. So I'll kind of sprinkle that uh, throughout. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll sprinkle images and things of the games that I played and some of the people uh, that I had a chance to hang out with. Uh, so if you're watching on YouTube, that'll definitely be appearing now. Some of these photos were taken by Eric Teo of the Push Your Luck podcast, who was one of my roommates uh, at the convention. So just to do Eric right, I will note the pictures that I stole from his Instagram. I did have permission. Uh, there was a couple of games. I think I was so involved in the game, I forgot to actually take pictures because I like to take pictures at a con uh, just to kind of act as a diary and notes to kind of remind myself oh yeah I did play that because I usually do play a ton of games at these conventions and kind of the first thing to note uh, that I heard from a lot of people is that they get to play more games at Origins than they do at Gen Con which for me is not true Uh, I think that is I don't know I'm a little bit outside the wall I guess on that one I make a super point of trying to play games at Gen Con, especially the last several times because I used to do, you know, the video coverage and interviews and that kind of stuff during the day. And so I had a real drive to, you know, try, try to make it a little bit more on the fun side, so to speak, and play lots of games. I would say I might have played a little bit more games here than I do at Gen Con. Uh, but I just want to say kind of in Gen Con's defense that there are games to be had and games to be played there. There's a lot of places to play games there. I feel like that's kind of a, not really a myth, but I think that's sort of the common thought is that, oh, well, if you want to actually play games, you go to Origins. And at Gen Con, it's too crazy to play games. I mean, I don't know. I just have not found that to be true. I don't want to belabor that point too much. But for folks listening to this, you know, trying to decide, hey, I've never been to any of these bigger cons. Should I go to Origins? Should I go to Gen Con? 100% you can play lots and lots and lots and lots of games at Gen Con. Now, you may spend more time in the dealer hall at Gen Con and all the various exhibitions and things just because there's more stuff to do, uh, but we'll talk about that more in a second. Now, the first game that I played when I arrived on Tuesday, the official first day of the convention is Wednesday, uh, but I got there Tuesday and we played a couple of games of Magic Maze. And this is a very interesting game. I'm not sure that I liked it. I kind of liked it, but it was also super frustrating. It's a game where you have to kind of move these pawns around and you can only move the pawn one direction and the other players can get the other directions, but there's no verbal or other kinds of communication except for this wooden block that you will kind of like slam in front of the other players. It was fun. It's on a timer with an hourglass timer, but it gets really, really frustrating. And I could see that just kind of becoming annoying to me after a bit. Now, you can certainly probably play with the same group a bunch of times and get sort of ticks and signals that you'll send across, similar to a game like Hanabi or something like that. Uh, But I would say recommend, like, kind of check it out. I'm not going to seek it out for review or anything, I don't think. 
because uh, it was kind of fun but then at the end of the day it's like yeah it's kind of frustrating too and i don't know that i want that much uh blood pressure raised <laughs> during a game that's this short and magic maze is a game that we played uh pretty much right after arrival i had some lunch uh, went and played that game and just kind of hung out and visited with folks as they were arriving and coming in and then we i think we went to dinner at that point and then as it started to get late jamie keggy from the secret cabal had his collector's edition of outlive which he had backed on kickstarter and we played a game of that and i was a little bit frazzled a little bit fried from the day of travel and all that stuff and it was getting kind of late uh, so i didn't do particularly well but I really, really enjoyed my play of this. It's kind of like if they took that Fallout Shelter app, you know, based in the Fallout 3, Fallout 4 universe, and turned it into a board game where you're kind of managing uh, your little scouting parties to go out and get resources. And there's a little bit of sort of kind of combat, but it's very Euro-y in the combat. And you have a lot of different kind of workers that you bring back to your vault or bring back to your player board. And you have got to manage these different buildings and the different buildings that you get are going to change you get to kind of select them before you start so it's going to kind of vary up how the game plays uh, really really interesting game if this is ever kind of released in a more widespread fashion uh, beyond kickstarter i will certainly uh, seek it out now it is a little bit brutal uh, jamie said he felt like one of the buildings was a little bit stronger than the others that allowed you to kind of ignore these horrific events that are going to happen every round and that's one of the ways that you can actually score points is to sort of prevent these events or eliminate the events that's affecting everybody at the table. But if you're the one to eliminate them, you're going to get some extra points. Uh, so that's kind of a cool thing as well. But the game is very, very brutal. And your scores are going to wind up around like 30, it seemed like, uh, to win the game. Even though it seems like you're going to you know, possibly score a lot more points than that, it's very, very difficult to do. So I definitely think anybody that likes... Uh, I would call this kind of a heavier gear. I mean, it's it's not complex, right, with the rule set and the mechanics or anything, but it's certainly brutal and it's certainly something you got to play. I think once or twice to really get the hang of. Like I said, I only got the one play and I was just starting to kind of unwrap it a little bit. Uh, so that was Outlive, and the publisher I believe this is their first game. It's called Le Bois Joux, a French publisher, and I'm probably butchering their name, uh, but definitely check it out on BGG. It's gorgeous looking. Uh, looking at the components, I don't think I'd ever want to play the standard game because they're kind of subpar, uh, especially when you compare them with what came in the collector's edition, which is just, I mean, outstanding looking. And that was the last game that I played on Tuesday, just a couple of games on Tuesday. And then got up Wednesday and went down and had a nice meeting with uh, John Carter from Games Workshop. A couple of us media folks were invited to come check out a game that's not coming out until quarter four of this year and this is called uh, shade spire it's set in the warhammer age of sigmar universe but it's very much a board game now it does come with miniatures it's got very easy to assemble uh, pre-colored miniatures so you don't really have to paint them if you don't want uh, but they did have for us some really exceptionally painted professionally painted uh, miniatures that you know built up and everything to look outstanding and if i had to compare it to anything else i would say it's a little bit like gore chosen which i reviewed earlier this year or maybe last year i can't forget but also a little bit like uh, HeroScape or that magic the gathering planeswalkers board game it's got some hex movement and you got some card play but this has a lot of potential i think we had a great time playing it we kind of like team played it uh, myself and rodney smith were playing against 
Jamie from Secret Cabal and Marty from Rolling Dice and Taking Names. And we had these decks that you, you build, and you can uh, customize those decks. You can customize the, the units and the forces that you have. And you actually have two decks that you customize because you're going to score points in a lot of different ways, and you can customize and build your objective deck. So you can sort of build your main deck, which will have your action cards that tell you how to attack and you know level up your characters during the course of the game and sort of build that one way and then also kind of partner that with an objective deck that you custom build so you can sort of tailor your play style within your given force so if you want to be very defensive you want to be very aggressive and get your points from you know killing the other player versus holding objectives uh, so that was a really cool way to add a lot of replayability uh, we played a game of it and like with instruction and with us kind of you know learning it it was about a half hour or so for a game and they said the game is kind of designed to play about 20 minutes or so and you kind of play it as a best of three because there is a little bit of randomization and luck with you know getting the right objectives and you know it's a deck building game like a pre pre-game deck building game so you may not get the exact right card so it's best to play it kind of in an organized play setting uh best two out of three but it was really really fun really quick and the mechanics were very solid i thought uh, especially for this kind of game so that's a shade spire and this is uh, actually it's a Warhammer Underworlds is sort of the uh, brand that it's falling under. So I'm not sure if they're going to do other stuff in this Underworlds line or not. And then after that, I had a chance to demo another miniatures game. I promise this will not be miniatures heavy or even miniatures light. There's just a couple of miniatures games. Anyway, back to Malifaux. Malifaux's great. I wanted to play this. I've had several people recommend it to me since I started to cover miniatures more. It's interesting because it's a little skirmish game. You have maybe five, ten models, depending how you build your force out. Now, there's no dice in the game. It's all driven by a standard 52 deck of poker cards. Now, they have their own custom decks with their own custom suits, but there's no reason you couldn't use just a regular deck of cards to go with it. Uh, but I would probably recommend, if you're going to get into the game, just to get their starter set, which comes with some of their custom poker decks and stuff. And that's what we played with. We played with just the basic starter set that they have for sale. And I really enjoyed this game as well. Uh, the mechanics for the card play were very interesting because a lot of times when you do damage or do an attack to see if, it's, if it succeeds, then you'll flip a card off the top of the deck. And that's going to kind of you know augment or modify maybe your attack stat or your damage stat. Well, then at that point, you have a hand of cards that you can quote-unquote cheat with and you can play them. Well, you only have six cards usually that you can do that with through the course of a round. And you're going to be burning through a lot of your deck as well. Uh, so you can really kind of card count and really try to dig in and, and figure out when you should sort of cheat and change the card that was flopped. Whether it's on a defense or on an attack or something else, some maybe kind of spell that you cast. And there's some cool special abilities. Uh, the cards are kind of multi-use. Sometimes you use the number, sometimes it'll say like weak or strong or whatever if you're trying to figure out the type of damage. There's a black joker and a red joker, which can change up things. They're kind of special cards that can trigger off different things. And there's sometimes the suit of the card will have an effect based on, you know, an attack. It maybe will stun a guy or knock him back or some extra effect. So you can try to uh, mess with that. But it was really, really fun. Once you kind of got through how the card play worked, uh, it was, you know, really straightforward and easy to get into. And I did kind of wander the booth going, oh, I should get the starter set there. And they have some cool terrain. That's like this plastic card type of terrain that you can assemble very quickly. It's all kind of pre-printed. And then I quickly ran away because I realized that I have like, you know, two or three or four other miniatures games I like to play. 
Uh, I may pick it up at some point or something uh, to do a review of it. I kind of want to, but I kind of just want to pick it up to do a review and then maybe never play it again. So that seems kind of not efficient. Uh, but definitely check it out. I'm sure there's a plenty of good uh, battle reports and stuff on it. Now, the next thing that I played on Wednesday was the furthest thing from a miniatures game, and that is Codenames Duet. This is the new kind of co-op slash two-player version of Codenames. And basically, you have the clue card in between each player, and it's double-sided. So they have kind of the grid layout, and you have the grid layout, and you take turns giving clues to each other, or the teams take turns giving clues to each other. And it is hard. Now, we all, I only ever played it uh, two players. So one player on one side, one player on the other. And didn't have a chance to try it with you know teams of three or whatever. I played it three times. Never uh, succeeded in winning. We got close. We got in within one uh, clue or one card at one point. But it's super hard because there's three assassins that you can potentially trigger. The assassins and, and things are different on each side. And so you may have one assassin location in common, but the other ones are, you know, a successful clue for you, but an assassin for your opponent, or just like a neutral, you know, kind of bystander slash blank space for one or the other. And some of the clue spots overlap and some of them don't. So, man, it is rough. It is tough. It gets super thinky. You have to start to really start to metagame. You know, if you've played Codenames a bunch, you can start to see how you metagame and drop clues maybe to be used later on and all that stuff. And, you know, as the words disappear, then it becomes a little bit easier and you have to remember back and all that stuff. So that all that stuff really comes into play here. I'm excited to get it and try it out just because, you know, you can play it easy with two or three players. It doesn't matter if, you know, one side has two people and the other side has one or anything. Um, so I'm super looking forward to this, but I think people should set their expectations in terms of the difficulty. Now, it's rough. Uh, that may you know, ease with time after multiple plays. I'm sure it will. There's actually a cool kind of quote-unquote campaign mode where it, you get like a certain number of clues. So the timer in this game and kind of the basic game is you get like nine turns, basically. And if you sort of fail and call one of the neutral spaces uh, for your opponent, you'll have a little token that you'll put on it that will point to you and say, okay, that was a fail for you, but it may still be a green token for the other player and that kind of thing. So you kind of place these tokens out either on the cards or flip them over to the green side to show that you had a successful turn or so on. And there's different ways to kind of distribute those little tokens that act as a timer. We didn't get into all the permutations of that, uh, but that looks pretty interesting. So once you do get better at the game then it'll give you some ways to kind of amp up the difficulty now the next game that we played was uh my buddy zach was there from uh, locally and uh, we sat down and also played jump drive in the rio grande uh, room and we both are big race for the galaxy fans zach uh, loves race for the galaxy and uh, we were like hey let's play jump drive you know it's kind of the really simplified version of it um, i think zach might have liked it more than me it was a little bit, I don't know what how to say. I wouldn't say it was too simple because I don't think you could like hand the game to, you know, like a non-gamer and they would pick it up super quickly. Although we didn't go by the rule book. We were going by, you know, the person teaching us who did a great job. But there's still a decent amount of iconography. It's certainly not at the level of Race for the Galaxy. And we played with kind of the starter hands. It gives you kind of four starter hands because it plays up to four players and one player takes one hand, and it gives you kind of an automatic synergy 
which in a way kind of made the game a little bit too easy. So I would like to try it with just kind of a random hand, which is, you know, kind of quote unquote the full game. But regardless, once you get synergy, you're drawing like tons and tons of cards and scoring massive amounts of points. So it ramps up super quickly. It's really only going to take about 20 minutes to play. But I just don't know that it was that rewarding enough at the end of the game. So it's a tricky one to kind of recommend for folks because I think the shelf life is going to be sort of small on this. But I think maybe it's targeted towards, you know, somebody that hasn't played Race for the Galaxy like 100 times like we all have. Yeah, so it, it was tricky to kind of gauge what the audience for this would be. It was certainly enjoyable to kind of build up combos, build up the engine, get the card draw up. I mean, you have a hand limit of 10 cards, and at one point I had like 20 cards in my hand. So if you get a good enough engine, it's easy to get up there, and you spend, you know, 75% of a turn just discarding the cards just to make sure you optimize your combo. But it's a, it's a cool design, and it's something I would recommend, again, folks just kind of check out, see if they would like. Um, but I'm kind of on the fence about it. Again, I need to play it more than once, obviously. Let's see. Now, the next game that we played is not necessarily a brand new game, but it was the first time I had a chance to play it. And it's Lorenzo Il Magnifico. And this is a strict Euro game that's being published over on the state side by Simon Inc. And I really enjoyed this game. Uh, it was a little bit of a slow burn in terms of my enjoyment. But once we had completed the full game, I really, really uh, liked what I did. And I was excited to uh, play it again, which I didn't. But... I'm definitely excited to try it again, and it's floating around in my group, so we'll certainly get a chance to play it again. Um, I, I could get kind of bogged down. There's a lot of kind of mechanics going on here, so I don't want to get too into that. But it's very, very interesting, and I think it's a, it's an excellent design. I think anybody that you know likes Euros uh, will like it. It's kind of like you roll some dice, and then your workers that match the color of the dice have a different power level that you can augment, and you go and you try to draft these cards by placing the workers and then that kind of builds up your engine. You get production cars and like factory cars and cars that score you points. And that kind of just sort of steamrolls and snowballs as you get going. Uh, and it's really, really enjoyable. So I will definitely look to do a review of this, not soon, but you know, relatively soon as I get another player or two in of it and kind of get at the strategy a little bit more. But I definitely enjoy that. And I would, I would feel comfortable recommending that to folks that really, you know, like your engine buildy euros even just from the one play. Now the last game for Wednesday, and then I'll talk a little bit about an anecdote. I'll kind of do like a day's worth of games and throw in an anecdote. Uh, the last game for Wednesday was an unlock, and I think this is sort of the second hardest, so not the easiest of the unlocks that are available, but the not the hardest either. And this one is called The Formula. Now if you're not familiar with these games, it's sort of like an app-based escape room. So you have an app, you have a deck of cards, you can only play through it once, but I think the game's only like 15 bucks. And you don't damage anything, you don't tear anything up. Uh, it just kind of, app kind of works you through a deck of cards, which are gonna be pictures of rooms and cabinets and maps and all kinds of cool pictures and stuff to uh, unlock. And they all have numbers, so they all kind of link together. So you'll open a room and it'll have like five numbers on it. And you can see that they're pointed to different like doors and things. And you find the cards for those numbers, open them up. They'll have little things. They'll be like maybe a little bit of text description there. But the app kind of augments that. So you'll like punch in key codes and, you know, combination locks. Sometimes the app will play a sound or something that you have to get through. And I, I don't really want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil it. But it does have a tutorial uh, that it'll work you through. And the tutorial is excellent. So once you play that, it takes like 10 minutes. And then you're ready to go. 
and each game obviously is timed exactly at an hour but I really like how this one resolves the end game so if you fail uh, you know you don't do it by the hour you can still keep going it just kind of gives you a score and we played this one through and we had typed in like kind of the final key code right at the last second and that was the wrong code and then we talked for maybe like 30 seconds and we were like oh this thing here and then we typed in the right code so we finished it just after the hour and I thought that was cool because even in like a real escape room you can be right there you know at the thing trying to type a key code and you know time runs out and you're like if you had two more minutes you would have finished it and I can see why a, a real escape room location would want to have the kind of fail and success rate but it was really cool to be able to just kind of finish it and be like man we were so close can we just sit here for another minute we know we went like one number off or something we just read something wrong or the clue had so much kind of red herring in it that it just threw us off um, I like that that was awesome so that was a really really cool kind of bonus it does a really cool thing where it gives you kind of hints and clues through the app uh, you know some like one time it gives a clue we're like yeah dude we uh, figured that out five minutes ago but then you know later on as we got more stuck it would give you clues and things you could ask for hints and I, I believe that kind of reduces your score but it doesn't take away time sometimes if you put in the wrong answer it will reduce the time which is also cool uh, so in that sense it's kind of neat because unlike a real escape room you know where you probably wouldn't sit there and punch in numbers a whole bunch it does penalize you so maybe it's kind of nice that it offsets that on the back end with just allowing you extra time to actually finish it and it makes sense because you're in your own you know home or, or, or location and so you know okay buddy let me finish it that kind of thing uh, so that was really cool I've, I really liked playing unlock quite a bit uh, and one thing I will mention here kind of like uh, you know what was maybe my game of the show Kind of thing i haven't gotten quite to the ones that are at the upper echelon uh, but certainly uh from today you know unlock codenames duet and shade spire out of the games that i've mentioned already were up there with like these are excellent games uh that i think you know folks can certainly uh, chase after and so from the first kind of two days of games that i've played here uh, i would definitely recommend folks certainly look into those games now just take a little break from game talk uh, i did kind of put to rest kind of the idea that you know you can't play as many games at Gen Con that you can play at Origins. So I want to kind of tip a feather in Origins cap right now and that is kind of the local area around there. Now the one thing and I'll kind of come back to this Gen Con has this has a lot more going on than Origins but Origins is not nuts like Gen Con is and that's certainly a feather in or Origins cap. You've got all the local food and stuff right there. There's a lot of you know places to go hang out the hotels situation is not a nightmare like Gen Con is even if you don't get like there's basically like two hotels attached to it and there's one across the street and then there's one kind of across the street from the other hotels and everybody I know I think they had like 16 or 17 thousand people there was able to get you know within like a block you know maybe there's some folks out like two blocks or so uh, if you booked really late uh, but most folks were within walking distance or very very short uh, hike and so that was very nice and I like that downtown area now they don't transform like Gen Con in Indianapolis it seems like a lot of the restaurants really transform and they kind of geek it up you know the one bar there creates like a real geeky sounding uh, beer you know every year it's a different beer for Gen Con 
but the overall, like the food accessibility, there's this North Market, which a lot of people talk about, which is awesome. It's got a lot of different kinds of food. You know, some people, they have different diets they have to adhere to. And so there's a lot of options there. Um, I ate at this Indian place three times. I'm a huge uh, fan of Indian food. And I also ate at this fried chicken place a couple times, which I maybe shouldn't have, but it was real hot and spicy. And I loved spicy food too, obviously. Uh, so there's a lot of different places to eat there and different types of uh, restaurants. Again, there was a barbecue place, which some folks said was pretty decent. I never had a chance to even eat there. Uh, we found this cool like sort of taco place down maybe three, four blocks from uh, the convention center. So I would say Origins has this kind of the accessibility of just getting a good, decent meal is there. Where like if you go eat like the convention food in the convention, yeah, not so great. Neither Origins or Gen Con look like it has really good uh, convention food. And I never had the convention food at Origins because there was no need to go there. You could go find some decently priced, good, you know, quality food. And the Gen Con uh, convention food I have had because they're open late at night. And I maybe will grab like a cheap slice of pizza or something at like, you know, 12 a.m. or something. But to go and try to get food at Gen Con is a, is a little bit more of a deal. You got to go a couple blocks and it's all kind of spread out. They do have the Food Court Mall, which is attached to Gen Con, which I hate saying because it's like, it seems like it's never crowded. So I hate to like tell people that and tip people off almost. But no, go there because it's not really that crowded usually to go get a meal at Gen Con there. But certainly Origins Food has a Gen Con beat, I would say hands down, because there's just so much variety, so much good quality food, and uh, there's a lot of good bars and stuff. I don't drink, but there's a lot of good bars that have decent food as well that I ate in. Uh, so that's kind of a definite boon. Uh, kind of that overall outside of the con experience, I would say is much, much better uh, at Origins. And I guess I'm forgetting the food trucks at Gen Con, but the lines there are ridiculous. There's some good food at those food trucks, but man, those lines are outrageous. Now, moving on to Thursday, going back to miniatures, one neat thing that I was able to do at Origins, which I'm not sure you can do at Gen Con because I've never tried. I think you probably could do this, is I was able to kind of like rent a minis table. Now, there's an organization called 40korigins.com, and they help set up tournaments and things like that, and they have a lot of miniatures tables and a little section of one of the exhibit halls and they also allow you to book a table and they'll set up terrain for you so I booked like three slots just because I wasn't sure what time I would be able to do this uh, Rodney Smith and I had sort of blood promised each other that we would sit down and play a game of Age of Sigmar skirmish he's been excited to play Age of Sigmar in some fashion for quite a bit and skirmish is right up his alley and it's right up my alley and so I was able to book a table it's four bucks for a slot. I think it's like a four hour slot, so you get plenty of time. So you book the table for four bucks, and then your partner, whoever's gonna show up there, needs to just have a generic ticket, which is two bucks. So it's six bucks. And I asked them, hey, can you throw down some fantasy-ish terrain? We're gonna be playing a skirmish game. And they loaded the terrain up uh, with enough terrain, plenty of terrain and great looking terrain. As you're watching YouTube, you can see this. And they have got a real nice system with like these kind of mats that are six by four and they can just plop them down and they throw terrain down. And so we played a game of this. And I taught Rodney how to play Age of Sigmar generally and specifically in skirmish. And I brought a couple of war bands. And so we picked a couple and threw down and it was a lot of fun. And it seems like if I had, you know, thought more through it, I could have definitely organized and played, you know, several games of this with uh, various folks. But I just said, yeah, let me book three sessions 
so I booked that after uh, that morning session, excuse me, and then um, booked a couple other sessions that I didn't end up need to be using. But you know, it was super easy and super fun to do, and I had a good time playing uh, Age of Sigmar in the skirmish format, which I hadn't yet played. So that's neat. I don't know if you can do that kind of thing at Gen Con. I think you can, but I've never tried. I mean, I've certainly seen people playing miniatures games, and I don't think they were in a tournament. But that was really, really cool. Now, the other thing which I didn't have take pictures of because it was kind of awkward, I felt, to take pictures. But uh, I did play through a kind of a 40K 8th edition uh, learning game kind of thing as well. And that was really cool. Um, there was about six of us there. And we all kind of just slowly worked through uh, all the different turns. Some people had never played 40K at all and you know or hadn't played in like a couple of editions and that was really cool and i was really happy with the folks that were there i kind of came into it knowing all the rules and stuff because i played a lot of age of sigmar and read the rule book you know cover to cover a couple times for 40k so the fellow that was teaching there let me kind of take the reins with my partner and we just kind of used uh, the uh, the instructor there to kind of clarify a couple things just to make sure i was teaching them right and uh that was a lot of fun as well i was hoping to try to learn how to play infinity uh, but that all sold out pretty quickly, and I did chat with the guy there, and he said I could hang out and watch, you know, one of the the demos if I really wanted to. But I didn't really, I didn't really make time or anything. But it was really cool of him to do that, and they had a really cool uh, Infinity setup, which I didn't take a picture of, unfortunately. But that looked like it was pretty cool as well. Now switching gears completely, back to more social games. I had a chance to play Werewords uh, several times. Uh, while I was at the convention, and this certainly is in the running for one of my games of the show. This kind of takes uh, elements of Ultimate Werewolf and also Insider, if you ever played that, and kind of combines them and throws in an app and adds some extra cool special roles and stuff like that. I had a blast playing this game, and my sort of inkling was I certainly like this better than One Night Ultimate Alien, which I had a chance to play a couple times before the con, and this was sort of kind of the other end of that spectrum. Now, One Night Ultimate Alien, of course, is an expansion to Werewolf and Vampire. It really goes off the chain. Like, it gets wacky, crazy fun. I'll definitely review that one because I do enjoy it. But I think, folks, for that one, if you're not a fan of One Night Ultimate Werewolf or social deduction games, stay away from Alien. Because <laughs> that's for, like, super fans, which is what my group here is. Now, Werewords... On the other hand, I think a lot of folks that aren't usually fans of the social deduction games or specifically Ultimate Werewolf, they will probably, hopefully, get a kick out of Werewords. It's really, really fun, really cool. It's a little bit more like on the rails type of thing because you're very focused on just discovering the word for a while. And then kind of in the background, and it comes more prevalent as you play the game more, but kind of in the background, you're trying to figure out who the werewolf is, trying to throw you off. If you've played Insider, there's a secret word, and somebody's trying to throw them off like the traitor. But this is a little bit better because you have a couple of roles that sort of will help balance out the game. And just the way the app handles it and stuff, I definitely like this better than Insider. So I say this is like an improved version of Insider. And yes, I realize there's some controversy there. But that withstanding, this is better than Insider. I'm sorry. So... I highly recommend folks check this out. It's got a lot of layers to it, a lot of layers to the deduction. It's very interesting to kind of, you know, people will fall into these tropes. If you've played Insider or 20 Questions, you know, which is what Insider is really based on, then you will really start to see those common questions, you know, is it alive? Is it a place? You know, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. So, so you'll very quickly sort of develop that metagame uh, within the group. 
and then you can kind of really play with that if you're the werewolf you know or if you're the seer who knows what the word is but doesn't want to be too obvious about it because they tip the werewolf off and all that kind of good stuff anyway i highly recommend this game i'll certainly be doing a review of that one shortly now the next game that i played is a century a spice road and i'm realizing as i'm looking at these pictures i've gotten the order wrong but you don't know that <laughs> so anyway so the next game on my list anyway is century spice road and this has been compared a lot to splendor and i had a chance to play this i think just three times and i'm certainly going to play it more and i say that the comparisons to splendor are okay i'm okay with them it's a very very different game than splendor it has the same feel because it's like pure engine which is what splendor is you know you take a resource and you convert a resource into a card or in this case you convert a resource into another resource which then gets you a card or you take a card that might have some resources on it and it's a your turns go so fast and then it's just a super fast race to an x number of scoring cards or points in the case of splendor i really like this i absolutely adore this i can't wait to try this uh, with my lunch group who loves Splendor. I mean, we literally played Splendor over 50 times in my lunch group, and it was such, I mean, just a blast. I mean, because you just can't, you get to know each other in terms of the gameplay space uh, so much with Splendor. And, uh, and I think this one, I'll be curious. I'm really curious if my lunch group is going to like this as much as Splendor or not. I expect they will once we get a couple of plays into it. So I'm really excited about this. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things like, you know, do I need Splendor and Century? I mean, who cares? If you have the money and you have the shelf space, get Century. This is definitely one of my uh, games of the show, uh, right up there with Werewoods and Code, excuse me, Werewords, Codenames, Duet, and so on. Absolutely fun, quick game, lots of tension, very quick, uh, you know, compacted tension inside a very short time frame. Now, the next couple of games here are kind of a set, and we had a nice meeting with the folks at Restoration Games who are starting to come out with some new games. Now, they have taken a lot of games from the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. Uh, they've redeveloped them. Uh, Rob Davio is kind of the head of development over there. And the first game that I'm going to talk about, and I think if I could point to any game and say, this is my number one game of the show, that would be Downforce, which is kind of a remake of Daytona 500 and this game is I mean it blew my mind honestly it's so simple it's so just anybody could play this I could play this with a family I could play this with my gamer group I could probably play this at my lunch group it's a little bit too much table space but this is just that I think is one of those games what they've done with it it just should be a ubiquitous hit now I really like a game called uh, Camel Cup and this really reminds me of that, or even a game called Winter Circle, which is a much older game. It's not so much a racing game. It looks like a racing game. You're racing cars around. You're playing cards to drive the cars around. But it has a super dead simple like little auction at the beginning of the game. So you kind of own a car. And then you have cards that will move all of the cars. And so you're going to look at your hand of cards. You're going to see, okay, I can move the black car a fair amount. So maybe I should bid on black. So I show a card. Everybody shows a card before the game starts that has a, a little line that will move black. And whoever plays the highest will then basically deduct that much money from their end game score. So if I show five black, I'll just write a little five on my score sheet. And whatever I end up scoring at the end of the game, I'm going to reduce whatever my bid was there. And then that's going to be my final score. And then you do that for all the cars. You can own multiple cars. You can maybe end up with only one car. 
and then you start playing cards and they move multiple cars and you're going to move cars you don't want to move and you've got to move them in order and there's special powers that you can get that can change all that up and then as the cars move around the board then you can trigger these little betting rounds and so the first car passes like the first checkpoint and then you say okay well looking at the race now i'm just going to go ahead and check off yellow because i think yellow is probably going to win or at least place and then you do that three times throughout the race and then if that happens then you just add those points to your score so it's so dead simple so so dead simple but it's just super fun and there's a lot of kind of hand management card choosing type of thing if you win the black car for example you're going to get a black eight so everybody's going to have an eight in the cars that they own uh, so that you're going to you know when do i play that there's a couple like choke points on the track and the track board is double-sided we just played on i assume was kind of the basic side so there's a couple of choke points you got to watch out for in terms of you know cars just bumping into each other because if you run into the back of a car you can't move it anymore so there's going to be some jockeying there and really sort of screwing people over you know a lot you know getting those cars choked in around these different corners it was so fun it was so just perfect for me because it's got this kind of hand management stuff and if you watch the channel or listen uh, you know that i like uh card play and that kind of hand management stuff so definitely uh, look forward to that one i'll definitely have a review of that one uh shortly i know it's kind of a gen con release all these games from them are going to be a gen con release so you'll certainly see reviews i expect from all these games and speaking of which uh, moving into the next one, which we didn't get a full like playthrough of, but we had a nice demo of, was Stop Thief. Uh, this is a remake of an older game, uh, and they've really just... I mean, it's almost like a new game. It's got an app involved, and the app... I mean, the app really blew my mind with how it worked. I think this is going to be a surprise hit. I know the Kickstarter they did did pretty well. I don't remember how much they made exactly, but... I think this is just going to be outstanding. I may end up liking this more than Downforce, even though, you know, I already just gushed 100% about Downforce. So this looks ridiculous. It looks so, so good because basically the idea is you have some crime that's been committed, some thief robbed a certain part of the board, and then you uh, get some kind of clue as to where it's moved. And then you can move around. You have special characters that can move these different points. And the app might play sounds like it's going, the guy's like crashing through a window or he steps outside and there's construction work going on. So, you know, based on the previous position that he was at, kind of like Furia Dracula or Scotland Yard, then you know, okay, well, he crashed through a window and he's near construction. So he's got to be in one of these like three spots. And then you're going to kind of move over there and then the app's going to move. And then you kind of have to use the clues. And now you can scale the difficulty of those clues that the app gives you. So, some of the powers that you can get will give you like an exact thing like he's here or it's he's in this like top quarter of the board so the clues are going to get harder or less hard based on the difficulty of how you do it and really it's like co-op scotland yard or co-op fury of dracula which i think is great because a lot of people you know they don't really want to play mr x or dracula because it's you know the one versus many just doesn't work for a lot of people i like it but I think this is going to be great because it's like a co-op Fury of Dracula and you've got to have an app. You've got to have something with some smarts and some, you know, extra levels of AI, not just something with a deck of cards. And that really kind of got into me. And I was like, this is what an app assisted board game is all about, where you have a sophisticated kind of AI. You can scale the difficulty. You use the sound. You use all these different other elements that you can't get from static physical paper and cardboard and stuff like that to assist that 
And I was like, yeah, this, this I want to see happen. <laughs> so it's happening. Anyway, that's Stop Thief. Another one I didn't play, certainly up there with Game of the Show. And then the last game from Restoration Games is a game called Indulgence. And this is based on a game, I believe it was called Dragon Master. And if you have watched my reviews for any period of time, you know I like kind of funky uh, trick-taking games. And this is one of those where you have a deck of cards and you play suits and you try to uh, you know lead with a color and shed off your colors. But there's a ton of uh, just variable cards that you'll draw from a deck and like goals that will change up what you're actually trying to win. And it looked gorgeous and this is just right up my alley. I mean, I didn't see anything particularly like super innovative because we were just kind of shown the game. But I mean, they, it seemed like there was a lot of really cool stuff going on. So I'm pretty confident I'm going to have a good time with this one. I know my lunch group will enjoy it because we really, really, uh, you know, like this style of game. So I'm excited about this one as well. Let's see. So the next kind of anecdote as we move into, I think these games are all on Saturday. Now I've kind of lost track of when the games were actually played. But the next kind of anecdote was Saturday was actually the Gay Pride Parade was happening right outside our hotel. And it was a absolute zoo. Now I did notice when we pulled into town that there was a lot of pride, uh, you know, decorations all up and down the main street there, right in front of our hotel. So that was good to see. I did not know the parade was actually happening on Saturday, and it was a nice surprise because we came out and people were lining up for the parade. I'm like, oh, this is neat, and uh, you know, because in it's been a while since I've been to one. I used to live in the Bay Area and went to a couple there. But around here, that doesn't happen. So it was nice to see uh, this kind of thing and this kind of outpouring of support and love for everybody. Uh, and it was massive. I mean, I was like, how many people are in Columbus? Because the parade went on forever. And I really like to see kind of those two, um, you know, kind of dovetailing on what I talked about in my last, last podcast. You have these kind of two separate communities there. You've got your origins, you know, board game geeky kind of community. And then you have... Uh, the pride community and, and all those folks there that were so focused on that and so you know dedicated to that and that was nice to see a mix of that and I was happy to see some of the folks that I recognize as kind of origins people you know mixing with the pride people that kind of thing and taking time to watch the parade and show their support and everything and that's always something that I've, I've seen happen uh, a little bit like at Gen Con where something will happen there'll be some other large community come in and I just love to see that mixture of, of people because you do get kind of insulated and insular in your own world. And you, I mean, I honestly kind of lose track. I don't want to say I lose track of reality, but you kind of do. Like you kind of forget that you have a job and, you know, folks back home and all that stuff. And you get so kind of sucked into kind of the underbelly of the hobby, not in a negative way, but you just kind of get pulled into it. And you're just, you're completely immersed in all this gaming and stuff. And I like to see kind of that, not that other extreme, but another extreme of that where they're really wrapped up into the message and their community and their, you know, their love for their, what they're trying to say. And I love to see that mix. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I see, I see a few of you and you're in there and, uh, and you're able to kind of step out. So it was just, I love that kind of dichotomy in a way, not that they, you know, origins and, and the pride is an opposite, but it's just these two kind of universes just kind of, passing each other and just I loved it uh, so that was a fantastic thing to see and just kind of a nice surprise so moving back into games which I think I played on Saturday and I'm not really sure because some of these I did play on multiple days uh, and I did play a few of these multiple times 
I think I've mentioned that I've the ones that I have. But anyway, moving into the next thing, this one is called Mintworks. This is probably the world's smallest worker placement game, and it has like these little like mouth freshener <laughs> mint pieces that look like mouth freshener pieces, and it's got these little cards that you basically do worker placement on. And it's got some kind of engine building thing where you get more of the tokens. And so the more you get some of the pieces, you won't just put one on. You'll put like four or five on, and that will activate a power that will give you some kind of building plan. And you're just trying to build these different cards that give you points. And some of the cards you build won't give you any points, and they'll give you some cool ability that will more often than not generate more of the worker pieces to actually place out. Uh, the game's okay, but it's so small. And so I kind of give it a little bit of a break in that regard because in terms of like being critical about it because you could certainly break this out on an airplane tray for example and it is fun it, i think it would get samey after a while um, but you know there's a lot going on and how the different project plans and stuff are dealt will change it up a little bit but it was a cute little game i wouldn't say it's really great or anything but you know if for its form factor and its size it was really cool you can certainly like just stick this in your pocket and then break it out and it you know it'll work so anyway, that's Mintworks. And the next game I want to talk about is a game called Sentient. And this is coming out from Renegade Games. And this was really cool. This was I played this a couple times. And the sort of reviews were mixed. Although I did find people after my first game of it that were really excited about it. And I was like, okay, good. I'm not crazy. I think this game is actually fun. Uh, so a couple of people I talked to were very, very excited about it. And I was like, okay, let me, and then we played it again, and I got more into it and more into it. It's very, very different. And it kind of reminds me of, frankly, The Godfather, in the fact that you kind of do sort of a worker placement thing. You put some uh, your character up there with maybe some little pieces to augment their power, and you take a card and you stick it down in front of your little player board where you have some dice. And placing the card will manipulate those dice and hopefully at the end of the round, based on the card and what the dice end up being at the end of the round, you're going to get different points for it. Or you may not. You may not score because you may not you know, get the right card that you may not pick the right card. And it's, you're going to screw up your dice and not get as many points. But you leave the worker up there that you place to get the card as kind of like area control and area influence to get these little tokens. Now the cards are robots. And the tokens are like categories of the different robots. So you get those tokens and those are going to score at the end of the game, basically it's just a multiplier for all the cards you've collected at the end of the game. So that's got that neat kind of dichotomy where you kind of do a worker placement thing, or you grab a card, and that's very tactical, you know, because the cards are going to change, especially like in a four-player game, and so that's going to change up. So you got to be very tactical. The dice are going to be rolled each round. So you, that's you got to kind of work around that, but then you got to also keep an eye out towards, you know, how much influence that I'm going to leave up there and then grab those tokens so my multiplier is that much stronger. So I like that dichotomy. And those extra tokens that you leave up there, you can actually place on the cards as you place them to sort of deactivate some of the abilities that will manipulate your dice. Maybe you don't want to reduce your dice by one, and that's what it's going to do. So you would waste one of those tokens on the card itself instead of in the area influence. So it's really cool. Really kind of a dry design, you know, just kind of a number crunchy point scoring thing. But it was really tight and really fun. And the last time we played it was a four-player game. And I was playing with a few folks and Marty from Rolling Dice Take Nine there. We tied. We both had 65 points. And then he won on the tiebreaker uh, based on the number of those uh, kind of bonus tokens that he got. So really, really cool. And we had a really exciting game on that second play of it. Uh, the next game to talk about is 
Safranito, and I think this game is a few years old. This is a dexterity economic game, and I thought it sucked <laughs> for about the first half of the game. Uh, you kind of flick these discs out, and they will allow you to buy and sell ingredients, and each disc you have has like a number value on it. And so you have to sort of flip, flip your 60 on something, maybe if you want to sell the thing, and then you want your low number if you want to buy the thing, but you want the high number to be able to get access to be able to the first one to buy it. And then there's like these recipes that you will then be able to fulfill as you complete and get the ingredients. Uh, so yeah, we kind of didn't really know what the heck we were supposed to be doing. And we had kind of a weird draw of ingredients. Like there was no garlic ever for like the first several rounds. And so that was really putting a hamstring on us because all the recipes on there had like one garlic. So that kind of stunk. But then as we kind of got around and we were like, oh, you know, we should have just been buying stuff and selling stuff to get a ton of money. So when the stuff did come up, because invariably you're going to go through the ingredient deck every round, then you're going to have way more money to be able to buy exactly the stuff that you need. And there's some cool special abilities and stuff that you can get land on on the board. So I did, by the end of the game, did start liking it. And I totally would want to play it again with people that had played it already. Because uh, I really did have a good time with this one. But it was definitely like, what the heck? This is weird. Um, but I want to play it again to make sure maybe, you know, maybe it does suck. But, <laughs> but you know, I want to try it again just to see. And the next game to talk about is a Doctor Who game coming out from Gale Force 9. Now, this was not a full uh, demo, but I sat there for about uh, maybe 20 minutes and talking with Peter from Gale Force 9, and he did walk me through a couple of turns and kind of how the game shakes out. This one's very interesting. It kind of reminds me of Pandemic uh, the Dice Game, uh, Pandemic the Cure is the name of that. But it's a semi-co-op, which kind of throws me for a loop there. Uh, it looks like there's a lot more going on than Pandemic the Cure because you kind of explore like these different Earths and these different, uh, I don't know, dimensions and stuff. And each player plays uh, one of the different doctors in Doctor Who. And if they ever like meet at the same location, there can be a weird uh, time paradox, and that's bad. Um, so, yeah, it looks really cool. I really want to try it. And it has some interesting dice stuff where you get different cards, which are different uh, assistants and that kind of stuff. I know that's not the right word. But you get these other helpers to help you manipulate the dice and roll certain color dice. And it's basically just trying to assemble a set of dice to unlock and deactivate these bad things that happen. But it looked interesting. So I think it's going to be releasing maybe at Gen Con, maybe after that, uh, based on you know how their production schedule is going. I'm certainly interested to check it out. I'm not a big Doctor Who fan, uh, but this the mechanics and stuff did look interesting in this. And we got just a couple more games to go. Uh, I know these are definitely out of order in the terms that I'm going to talk about them, but these are some of the ones I forgot to take pictures of. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Not Alone, and that's from Stronghold Games. That was interesting. That was We played it twice. Uh, the first time, we played it with a full boat both times, actually. And the first time was weird because we were all trying to figure it out. And then the second time, well, not all of us, a couple had played it before, but the second time was much, much better. Uh, both games were relatively close. Uh, the idea of this is that you have one player playing an alien on a planet, like basically is playing the whole planet, and the rest of us are explorers who've basically been shipwrecked on the planet, and we're trying to basically draft these cards and play these cards for various locations to try to... Uh, escape the alien and wait for the uh, rescue ship to arrive. And the aliens got their own special cards. So it's like playing 
you know a one versus many game you think of like a descent or fury of the dracula or something like that now the gameplay is nothing like that it just has this very very interesting card play and it's very kind of a, a lighter game and there's a lot of kind of deduction and things happening a little bit of guessing and there's some different kind of very special powers that you can start to unlock as the game goes along uh, but we really started to uh, enjoy that one definitely on the second play of it so i'll certainly be reviewing that one shortly uh, very unique game. I mean, this is probably the most unique game that I played um, at the con. And so I'm, I'm happy to definitely take a look at that. Um, and I definitely recommend folks do try that one. And the second to last game, I think, was Caverna. Oh, no, third to last. Sorry, I got two more after this. Caverna K versus Cave. Played this a few times. Was so engrossed with it that I never took pictures of it. <laughs> so these pictures, as you can see on YouTube, are from Eric. Uh, played this three times and taught it and watched somebody else play it another time all the way through. This is another one that would definitely be up there for a game of the show. Uh, Mayfair, I believe they had 48 copies for sale and sold out of it in like, you know, a couple of minutes. This is really cool. This is probably my favorite of the two-player Rosenberg games. You know, he did the Agricola and the Laha version. It's definitely better than the Laha version. And it's right up there with the Agricola one. And I'm, I may already like it better than the Agricola one, even with the expansions in Agricola. I mean, this one, you can almost not need expansions, even though I think they could totally do expansions. Um, you are exploring and excavating caves. And when you do that, you actually generate the selection of buildings. And those are randomized. So you just shuffle those up and put them on each other's board. And then you excavate them and boom, there's new buildings to you know build and put in the places that you excavated. But your opponent can build them too. And it has this real cool kind of track of actions that you can take. So it's kind of like the worker placement selection spots in Agricola or Caverna with the cards laid out. So you'll kind of have the same in the beginning and the towards the end, they'll be kind of the same group, but the actual order won't matter. And as you play the game, you start off with not a lot going on. There's a couple things you can do. And then by the end of the game, there's so many different things you can do. You're like, holy cow, um, you know, I'm overwhelmed with all the options. Uh, it takes about a half hour to play, but there's a lot of avenues for winning in this game. So you can win, you know, kind of basically with a gold strategy, kind of converting everything into gold and getting buildings to do that. But those buildings may not come up or you may not have them at your disposal. So you've got to go a different tack and go for, you know, try to be more productive in all the other resources and get some of the bigger scoring points, uh, you know, buildings, that, excuse me, that score points all by themselves. Uh, so I really enjoyed this one, and I think this one's going to be a lot of plays to come. And I can certainly see them expanding it, like I said. All right, we got two more, and then I'll kind of give you my post-game uh, wrap-up a little bit with it. <laughs> uh, the next one is I did get a chance to do a quick demo of War Machine. I really wanted to try that. Like I said, I wanted to do Infinity 2, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, War Machine is really fun. I would say if you are a, are a Euro gamer and you don't like Ameritrash at all, I mean, me, I like all that stuff, but I would take a look at War Machine and a very interesting Euro style action point um, distribution thing. And he did show me also how hordes work. So there's War Machine and there's hordes and they generate this focus or this rage, depending on the army that you have, that you sort of distribute. It's kind of like playing Guild Ball. It really reminded me of Guild Ball and I'm sure Guild Ball was inspired by it and I actually would recommend Guild Ball as well if you're a Euro gamer. But really cool, really cool models. They had a great deal. Again, I had thought about buying the starter boxes because they had buy one, get one free. So it was like, you get one for 40 bucks and you get a second one for free. And I was like, how do I not buy this? 
But at this point, I was like, okay, I have no room in my suitcase, and I probably will just buy it, and it will sit there, and I won't even build it or paint it. <laughs> but again, this is one of those that are like, yeah, I really want to pick this up and you know do a video on it and show people about it, because it was really cool. I mean, just very good choices from like a design perspective in terms of like how damage was allocated you like marked on the cards and that would like deactivate one of the mech's arms and all that stuff don't really have a whole lot to say about that but i would definitely uh, recommend folks go check out some how to play videos on that uh, finally the last game that we kind of wrapped up the con with this I had a chance to play ethnos which i've already reviewed uh, you can definitely go take a look at that had a very close game of that pete sheary from simon inc was playing it I think he was BSing me a little bit. He's like, I've only played this game twice. And of course he ended up winning the game. And I'm like, I think you played it more than twice. But I think maybe he only played it twice. He just understood <laughs> the game. Uh, I did come in second. So I feel proud of myself that I came in second to only somebody that worked at the publisher. Uh, but this is a really fun game, really quick. Uh, not much else to say about it, but I just want to kind of catalog that we did play that at the end. Um, so you can see I played a fair bit of games. And some of these I played multiple times. It didn't play any many too heavy games. I mean, we played Lorenzo, Il Magnifico. I wanted to try Lisboa. Um, you know, I played Sentient a couple of times. Nothing super, super duper heavy. But, you know, it wasn't like I played a bunch of fillers the whole time either. But I just kind of wanted to wrap up with a little kind of end note on Origins versus Gen Con. I really think that as of Friday, I didn't need to be inside Origins proper anymore. I was basically, I didn't need to be in there anymore. The dealer halls, you know, not so big that I needed to really worry about, you know, going in there at all. Uh, There's plenty of places to play kind of ancillary to the con, either in any of the hotels. I walked around, you know, a lot of the other hotels besides the one we were in, and there was plenty of table space and stuff to play, you know, outside the con. I was kind of under the impression that they shut down kind of the library and the general play area at Origins for some reason, but that was not the case. I was kind of worried because I was like, what do you mean you shut it down? <laughs> it's a game convention. You leave that open. I paid money to fly out here. I'm playing until 2 a.m., you know, because uh, that's one thing that's cool about Gen Con. You can just waltz in there at like 2 a.m. and like, oh, there's like 100 people playing games in this giant hall. But that certainly wasn't the case. Um, but at uh, Gen Con, there's way too much going on. I mean, I certainly feel like I could be wandering that hall all four days proper, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I usually leave on Sunday anyway, but that there's so much going on. There's so much announcements and new releases and all that stuff. Now, the thing is, it's a pain in the butt to go to Gen Con. It's hard to get a reasonably located hotel. I know people say, oh, you know, no big deal. You can stay 15 miles away and all this stuff. What, rent a car and park it and pay for that? or commute in, no way, that stinks, I don't want to do that, I wanted to be able to walk, drop off some games that I've played, you know, and maybe that's some kind of like, privileged, elitist, spoiled attitude, I mean, sure, I mean, okay, but if you're going to spend money and fly out there, and pay all that money to stay in a hotel, I mean, I don't care if you're staying a couple miles away, you're still going to pay like a hundred, a couple hundred bucks a night, and you then you have to commute back, no, don't do that, that's not worth it, so to me, it's kind of a balance, Origins is like pretty close to Gen Con in terms of some of the new stuff that's coming out. You know, the crowd is great. The area is great. The crowd is great and the area is great at Gen Con as well. So it's just a matter of, I think Gen Con's better. If you had like all the money in the world, 
you know, or, you know, you can lock in one of those closer hotels and you don't, you don't have to be attached to, at Gen Con. You can be a few blocks away just so you're like walking distance, you know, you can work out a little bit. You can lose some of that weight. Right. And then you can carry those games back. As long as you're close, you don't need to be right next to the, the con, but you got to be within walking distance, you know, four or five blocks away that if you can get that Gen Con's the one, uh, you know, there's plenty of food there. Uh, that's that you can get at. It's just a little bit more effort to get at because you need you do need to stay fed and stay hydrated and all that stuff. And that's definitely easier at Origins. So I got to tip my hat to Gen Con still. Um, if it wasn't such a pain in the butt, it would be Gen Con hands down. But because Origins is so easy, it's so like relaxed and you don't have everybody running around thinking that they can't play games. I'm sorry, I hate to harp on that, but that kind of drives me a little bit bananas like, well, when I'm a Gen Con, I don't have any time to do anything. And don't tell me that. I mean, it's, I know it's like publishers and media folks telling me that usually, but I got to tune that out because when I talk to like regular folks or whatever that go there, like I never hear that from them. Like Gen Con's not that busy. You know, you run around and you get the games that you need on Thursday or whatever. And then you, what are you doing? You, you're playing games the rest of the time, I hope. Don't mess around. Or you're going to True Dungeon or going to some event or some painting event or something. Uh, so... I think Gen Con's better, you know, all things being equal, but you've got to still take into account the logistics, the real world stuff. It's a real pain. It's, you know, it's it's probably too much of a hassle. Like, I don't plan on going to Gen Con, you know, this year for sure. 100% I'm not going. Next year, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll go back and that'll be the one I do next year just because, you know, it's been, it'll have been two years now since I've been to Gen Con or three years go, uh, next year. So anyway, that's kind of my rough thoughts on it. Uh, the one thing that kind of was was a little bit weird about Origins and the tables and the open gaming and in the library was there was like exposed wood. Now, I never had any trouble finding any places to play. I saw some folks kind of commenting and some people said stuff to me at the con that, well, there's nowhere to play. I can't find anywhere to play. That was never a problem. And I played games in the day, in the evening, at, late at night, never a problem. There was always some place to play in the open area uh and that would get sometimes crowded but i had a boardroom pass it's 20 bucks for the whole con whole con that's that's nothing and you know there was definitely places to play there it did get a little crowded sometimes but i always found a place to play but the exposed table was like to me that was unacceptable i'm just going to say it was unacceptable because if you're playing a card game or something and like you could get a splinter on the thing uh, my buddy actually brought a tablecloth because he knew about this beforehand. And so he had a tablecloth in his backpack and we would just lay it down and put it out. But I think that Origins could afford to do that. I think they could put some kind of mats down or buy some just super cheap tablecloths just to protect the wood. There should not be exposed wood that you could get a splinter on or jack your card up on. I thought that was a little ridiculous. Anyway, that's my one only gripe that I really had. Otherwise, Origins is great. I would totally go back. And I had a great time, and I had a great time meeting all you folks that I haven't met, and seeing all folks that I, you know, haven't seen in, uh, well, since uh, BGG 2015. So it's been a while, almost two years, a year and a half. Um, so anyway, I'll be going to PAX Unplugged and the Shut Up and Sit Down Con, which is very small. But if you're going to that, uh, definitely wave and play a game with me. You know. Um, anyway, that's kind of my origins recap, and I figured I would just kind of knock this out and get it down and kind of blow through everything and that's it so it's still going to be another month or so uh until the next podcast but i was like i have to talk about this because uh, i am have a deficiency or a screw loose and must talk about stuff when i play games 
<laughs> All right. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye.